Hello, it's Eli Sussman, Managing Editor at Fish Stripes. Appreciate you tuning in to episode 42 of Fish Bites here on the Fish Stripes podcast as we cover every inch of the Miami Marlins organization. We are in an awkward phase of the MLB offseason during which there are hardly any player transactions or even juicy rumors to speak of. The postseason is going on for the final four teams competing for the 2019 World Series, and the Marlins really can't do a whole lot of business until after the season ends and the World Series and players become free agents and the roster situations open up. We're still a few weeks away from actually seeing any of the big splashes, whether it's in free agency or trades or the simple you know, rumors of those moves happening. In the meantime, we're going to be filling the space with some creative content. Uh, if you're wondering what has been going on with the Marlins in recent days and weeks, uh, first off is the Major League coaching staff shakeup. In some respects, there are now four open positions on Don Mattingly's staff. Mattingly, of course, is coming back. He was extended, but a handful of his deputies from 2019 are not. There's an open bench coach spot now that Tim Wallach is stepping away for family reasons, taking the year off at least from a full-time job at third base. Freddie Gonzalez, the former Marlins manager and Braves manager, he is looking for other opportunities. And he spoke with Joe Forsaro of MLB.com just saying very frankly, uh, he thinks his time is through here with in Miami and he'll be looking for another coaching job and very likely be coaching against Marlins at some point in 2020 and beyond. Also, a new bullpen coach is in order, as well as a new catching coach. The two coaches that we know are going to be retained for next season are first base coach and infield instructor Trey Hillman and pitching coach Mel Stoudemire Jr. That's reporting from Craig Mish. The team has not confirmed any of this. In fact, if you go to Marlins.com and you look at coaching staff, it shows every member of the 2019 staff is still being active. So that's a little bit awkward and hopefully it gets cleaned up by the time this episode gets published. Uh, but for the time being, all of this is just based on reports from trusted reporters, uh, both Mish and Frasaro. And just speaking specifically about Mel Stoudemire Jr., that is yeah, the biggest of these decisions, I'd say a guy that made a lot of progress with young pitchers during the 2019 season. You guys remember, especially during the middle of the year, when they had all these young starters firing on all cylinders, uh, providing length with their outings, and also finding creative ways to mix their pitches. That was encouraging, and now he gets to build upon the original instruction that he gave those guys in his first year together. Very encouraging news. Um, Outside of the coaching, uh, there are Marlins that are still playing games right now and important games, even though they don't necessarily affect the team directly in the Arizona Fall League. There are seven prospects competing. We're going to be talking about a couple of those coming up on this episode more specifically, but seven overall. Three of them are Fall Stars selections, and they played on Saturday in the Arizona Fall League Fall Stars game which was actually broadcast, and that's one gripe that I have with the AFL. It's very fun to follow the progress these guys are making. It's a very prestigious opportunity for top prospects on all 30 teams to compete against one another. But for whatever reason, the AFL does not have a steady broadcast agreement on either radio or TV, so we're not necessarily getting the kind of looks that we'd want to get from far away as to how these players are doing. The Fall Stars game was one exception to that. Nick Neidert, Victor Victor Mesa and Alex Vesia were all selected for that. So congratulations to those guys. And there's still a couple more weeks to go in their season. They're assigned to the Salt River Rafters, along with prospects from four other major league teams. That currently is the best team in the AFL, and they have a pretty decent shot at going to the AFL championship game towards the end of the month. So very excited for those guys to get to compete for a championship in some sort of way. And also in other winter leagues got underway. The Dominican Winter League is probably the most prominent of all the Caribbean Winter Leagues, and their season started on Saturday. A handful of Marlins and ex-Marlins are involved with that, um, such as Peter O'Brien, who you remember from September 2018, the Hialeah native. He's on the Toros del Este, and he is teammates with a couple other minor prospects in the Marlins organization. Tyrone Guerrero, who we're also going to talk about later in this episode, he's competing with another team in the league. Uh, Lewin Diaz will be playing some games, we believe, in the Dominican Winter League as well. And when you look further ahead into November, there's a big tournament coming up overseas, the Premier 12 in Asia that has ramifications for qualifying for the 2020 Olympics. Lewin Diaz, outfielder Tristan Pompey, those are a couple of the Marlins that are going to be playing in that. 
We're going to have updates on all these on the website, fishtraps.com. We've already been covering them. So if you haven't been noticing, uh, that's right there on the website and on our social media accounts, at fishtraps on Twitter and Instagram. We're going to keep track of all these games going on and the potential impact that they have on the development of these young players. But here on the pod, I'm launching a new series within the show, a series within Fish Bites, a position-by-position breakdown of the talent in the Marlins organization, Ultimate Marlins Depth Charts. This new episode is dedicated to the largest of those position groups, right-handed pitchers. After that, we're going to go to left-handed pitchers, then catchers, then first baseman, second baseman, shortstop, third baseman, outfielders. We're going to cover all those positions and what the present and the future looks like for the Marlins. Again, later in this offseason, the one guarantee about this offseason is there will be changes. The Marlins have money to spend, and they have a lot of improvement that they need to get to for next season. That will require some transactions. So some of the players mentioned during the series over the next few weeks are not going to be with the team in 2020. You don't know exactly what direction they're going to go to improve after 105 losses in 2019. But I feel it's an obligation of mine just to make you aware of who of everybody in the organization there's really no elegant way to say it or going through everything all the guys that have current impact or potential impact in the future the players mentioned on ultimate marlins depth charts are going to fall in one of four categories the first being major leaguers guys that finished the 2019 regular season on the marlins roster whether active or injured it's not going to be every single guy, just those that have a reasonable chance of being here in 2020, whether it's contractual control or ones that the Marlins are especially interested in retaining. So, for example, uh, we thank Hector Noah C for service, but we're ready to move on from him. We've definitely had our fill of watching him serve up long balls and fill innings that the Marlins don't need filled anymore. So thanks for everything, Hector. But he's not one of the guys mentioned. Uh, pretty much anybody else that you can think of, though, that is controllable and talented and intriguing in some way. We're going to go through everybody on that major league side of it. Next up is going to be the 2020 ETAs, estimated time of arrival. Guys that are prospects at the moment, but we expect to debut during the 2020 season, whether it's cracking the opening day roster or even those that are in line for a September call-up. Just reasonable projections for guys that are going to be coming up this coming season for the first time, what they did these past few years in the Marlins organization, uh, their tools, and all that to give you the rundown of what to expect of the most exciting young arms that are going to make the current pitching staff even better. The next category will be next waves, looking at pitchers that are more than a year away, we project from impacting the Marlins in Miami, ones that are unlikely to make their debut in 2020, but still very much in the team's future plans. It includes ones that are still teenagers and are less than a year into their pro career, as well as others that will be on the 40-man roster, but have a lot to do in terms of polishing up their game and finding out exactly what their role is at the major league level. But these are guys to be excited about. Some are already ranked as top prospects. Other ones, frankly, should be. But we're going to tell you what to expect much further down the road, guys to monitor as best you can from afar, and that will be monitoring even if their debut is still multiple years away. Finally, the fourth will be just called curiosities. Guys that for one reason or another, I personally handpicked as worth describing, uh, none of whom are among the conventional top 30 Marlins prospects overall, but who I just think are interesting for one reason or another. So I hope that you will trust my judgment on that when I highlight ones that are in interesting parts of their careers or just have something unique about them that is worth inclusion in this. Uh, Overall, uh, based on my count, the Marlins had nearly, they had more than 100 right-handed pitchers in the organization this year at various levels of competition, and that's just the ones that actually pitched in regular season games. Uh, We're not going to mention every single one of them. Again, this episode is only about an hour long. We're going to pick about, what, 30 or so? of these guys in different levels of their careers and for different reasons that I believe are worth highlighting and have a role in the Marlins present or future. As I introduce each right-handed pitcher in this episode, I will give you their earned run average and their fielder independent pitching from the 2019 season. 
Just to give you a heads up, the ERA in the National League this year was a 4.39. The FIP was a 4.44. Every year those numbers are pretty close, but they were higher than usual this past season because of the juiced ball that Major League Baseball still does not want to admit to. Uh, But nonetheless, I hope those quick numbers will give you a very quick synopsis of how these players performed this year. And from there, I'm going to fill in the blanks about their attributes and expectations moving forward. In all, this episode will give you a better understanding of where the Marlins stand when it comes to right-handed pitchers and the next steps in order to turn this into a consistent, sustainable contender. Here we go, breaking down right-handed pitchers on Ultimate Marlins depth charts. The first of four categories we'll go through is going to be the major leaguers, and I'll go through the names in alphabetical order by last name. Very conveniently, we start with Sandy Alcantara, 3.88 ERA, a 4.55 fielder independent pitching in 197 and one-thirds innings pitched, led the rotation in innings pitched, by far the most valuable pitcher on the Marlins staff in 2019, and he did as a rookie, technically. He had his first cup of coffee with the team in 2018 as a midseason call-up. This year, he started in the rotation, had his ups and downs during the first half of the year, really turned it on in August and September. We, we, we spoke about that in depth on some recent podcasts, and he was a fixture in the rotation, and overall, just a valuable player. He was named the team's all-star, and he showed some legitimate promise to make you believe that he could be an all-star in future seasons as well. He learned to really trust his sinker, the variety of his fastball that's nearly as fast as his four-seamer, mid to high 90s, but has just great horizontal and vertical movement. And even more specifically, he's throwing that pitch in the strike zone. That's so important that it's either in the strike zone or it starts in the strike zone and then breaks away. For whatever reason, his walks just went all the way down late in the year, and that allowed him to be so efficient with his pitches and very consistent. A swing and a miss. The slider gets Duvall. A brilliant seven innings of work for Sandy. He was great. He was he got great as the year went on, and overall, I think if you compare the overall value that he had as a player this year compared to the guy that he was traded for, uh, Marcelo Zuna, it was pretty similar in 2019. Just one player of four that the Marlins received in that package, but he was the centerpiece, and this year, as a rookie, he lived up to it. Uh, no doubt he's going to enter 2020 as a projected member of the starting rotation, and more, more than likely the opening day starter, and a guy that they trust at the start, at the top of the rotation, to open things up. Uh, I think realistically, he's never going to be the best pitcher on a championship contender. I think there are still some doubts about uh, his swing and miss rate, and whether his secondary pitches are sharp enough uh, to you know make him a truly dominant pitcher that is a perennial all-star. Uh, nonetheless, he's a really valuable asset for the Marlins to have a guy who's just 24 years old and does everything you'd want off the field as well, a great ambassador to the game, someone who really values being a part of this community. Uh, so great year for Sandy, and looking forward to a lot more years with him in the Marlins organization. Next up is Austin Bryce, 3.43 ERA, 4.87 FIP in 44 and two-thirds innings pitched. Uh, most of the disparity between that ERA and FIP it could be accounted for from a single week-and-a-half stretch right after he got back from his second stint on the injured list. He allowed home runs in four consecutive appearances out of the Marlins' pen. Uh, but outside of that, it was a really good year for Bryce. He came into spring training as a waiver claim uh, really at the very end of the Marlins roster, someone they didn't owe anything to, someone that was you know a small cold streak away from simply being cut. Uh, they didn't think much of him. Originally a Marlins draft pick, but he was pretty mediocre as a Reds reliever for the previous few years, so the expectations were low. And then he went on this really torrid hot streak during the, that first half in May and early June. He had one of the longest scoreless streaks of any Marlins pitcher this year. He worked himself into high leverage situations. He leaned very heavily on his curveball, which had always been his best pitch, but he learned to trust it like his best pitch more than ever, and it was super encouraging until in the middle of the year, he came down with a flexor strain in his arm. 
He was not the same once he returned from that injury, and then he finished the year on the injured list again with a forearm strain related to that previous injury. Uh, it's hard to know exactly what to think of him. Uh, he is out of options heading into 2020, but you know how bad this Marlins bullpen was late in the year, and a big part of that was that the first half, Austin Bryce wasn't there to settle things down. Uh, is it realistic for him to be a dominant late-ending guy? as he was for a brief stretch in the first half of 2019, of course not, but he, by all accounts, will be a contributing member of the bullpen, assuming that this uh, injury to his forearm gets straightened out over the offseason. Jeff Brigham, 4.46 ERA, 5.07 FIP in 38 and one-thirds innings pitched. For a guy that's seemingly very ordinary, you could say even mediocre by those numbers, I'm really excited about Brigham. His velocity spiked so much from 2018 to 2019. I mean, it's worth noting that he made his debut the previous year uh, at the end of the season and as a starting pitcher, uh, but it's still worth pointing out that he was averaging like 93 miles an hour on his fastball in 2018, and that spiked over 96 miles per hour on the average fastball in this new role this year. He was a guy that was a three-pitch pitcher, but the changeup never really came around to being effective, so he simplified things this year. Really interesting mix where he was 50% fastball, 50% slider, and that's a simple formula that works for other guys into becoming dominant arms in the bullpen. He's going to be 28 years old this coming season, and he does not have a lot of background in this reliever-type role, but as I mentioned just a moment ago, this bullpen is pretty much starting from scratch. And he's a guy that later in the year, especially, I thought he figured out some things about how to turn this himself into an above average strikeout artist. Just with those two pitches and with the filthier stuff, pretty interesting. An interesting guy moving forward who you may have not even noticed when the Marlins acquired him via trade about, what, four, four and a half years ago. But he's under control for a bunch more years and certainly coming into spring training. I think he has the inside track of being on the Marlins active roster. Next up is Robert Duggar, a 5.77 ERA, a 5.95 FIP in 34 and one-thirds innings pitched in the majors, a very uneven for his first stint in the major leagues towards the end of the year. Uh, he benefits from the fact that the Marlins had a few more injuries than expected from their young arms, and then, of course, they cleared out some of their starting pitching depth at the trade deadline to open up a spot. Duggar was acquired in the D. Gordon trade, I think at the time he was clearly the third piece in that trade, and yet he made it to the majors quicker than Nick Nider, quicker than Christopher Torres, and he had really consistent numbers in the minors. His velocity, in contrast to Brigham, velocity is a liability for him. He sits in the high 80s and low 90s with that pitch. Uh, he's he's interesting. Um, he Off the field, I think he's very highly regarded by his teammates. He seems like a fun guy and a humble guy. Uh, I'm just not sure if the stuff is there to make him stick at the major league level consistently. We're going to find coming into spring training, uh, at the very least, he has shown that durability at the lower levels of the minor leagues. And when he was at his very sharpest for the Marlins down the stretch, he had a couple great quality starts, uh, one at home at Marlins Park, and I believe one of them was on the road as well. Just an interesting swing man for us to keep an eye on moving forward. Tyrone Guerrero, a 6.26 ERA, 6.06 FIP in 46 innings pitched. Uh, you don't need me to tell you that it is unusual and concerning to have someone with an ERA and a FIP both over six. He just could not get the strike zone under control this year at all. I mean, that was an issue, of course, the previous year when he spent the full year in the Marlins bullpen, but even more so just the walks piling up. He was one of several Marlins, unfortunately, that issued walks with the bases loaded to walk and run, which is probably the most demoralizing play you can have as a fan watching your team pitch. A guy that still has all the velocity in the world, best velocity on the team, and in fact, when Jordan Hicks was injured down the stretch for the Cardinals, I believe he was the hardest throwing pitcher in the majors for the final few months of the regular season. That's great and all, but if he doesn't trust his slider, and if he can't throw his slider for strikes, if his fastball is still moving really straight at that great velocity, it's very hittable. Not sure exactly what his future looks like. He'll be under control. He's, what, 28, 29 years old. He's going to be pitching in winter ball this year in the Dominican Winter League uh, to build up some innings. I think there's no doubt that 
blister issues. He had a torn fingernail and a blister, if I'm not mistaken. Two separate finger-related injuries on his right hand may have affected his performance this year. Uh, I hope so. Uh, That would explain some of this issue, and that seems pretty easy for him to overcome during this offseason. So he'll be under a lot of pressure in spring training to show that he can at least throw strikes because that's that's pretty much all he has to do to make himself a viable major league pitcher is get his stuff over the plate. And so far, unfortunately, he has not been able to do that consistently. Eliezer Hernandez, 5.03 ERA, 5.58 FIP in 82 and one-thirds innings pitched. The Marlins did not make it easy on him. They messed with his role a little bit, originally bringing him up for some spot starts, then shuffling him to the bullpen where he struggled a lot, bringing him back into the rotation. Overall, uh, inconsistent. The one big development for him was his slider. He's a guy that has very limited fastball velocity. He needs to have strong secondaries to be able to throw them for strikes. And his slider really improved a lot from 2018 when he was a Rule 5 draft pick. He was clearly working on that pitch. He was he's able now to get swings and misses against both right-handers and left-handed batters. So that's somewhat encouraging, but I'm just not sure the rest of the package is there. He's vulnerable to the home run ball. He cannot be trusted to work deep into his starts. Uh, this was his age 24 season. It's still potential for him to get better. Uh, again, it's figuring out exactly what his comfort level is in certain roles. Because as we're going to mention coming up, there's just a lot of viable starting pitching candidates in this organization right now with superior stuff to him. He may be forced into a bullpen or a swingman role. And for whatever reason, he struggled very badly in that different role in 2019 So that's going to have to change, and at least the slider gives us one exceptional tool to make us believe that he can be successful in the majors. Kyle Keller, 3.38 ERA, 7.62 FIP in 10 and two-thirds innings pitched, most of that at the very end of the season. He first got on my radar at this time about a year ago when the Marlins sent him to the Arizona Fall League. And then when you look into the numbers, you see year after year after year, ever since the Marlins made him a late-round draft pick at a college He has superior strikeout stuff, a rate that hovered in the low to mid 30% of all batters faced were whiffing against him. A fastball slider guy, the fastball velocity is above average, uh, but I'm not going to spend a lot more time on Keller. The sample size in the majors is still microscopic. He'll be entering his age 27 season. There's still some questions about his control. So we'll just have to wait and find out and see what he looks like when he shows up in spring training. He needs to throw strikes, and uh, the Marlins need all the help they can get in the bullpen, but we just didn't learn a whole lot so far from him in the major leagues. Tyler Kinley got a longer look at 3.65 ERA, 4.92 FIP, and 49 and one-thirds innings pitched. So quietly spent most of this year on the Marlins active roster. I'll be honest, there were times during the year where I had to double-check that he was still active and on the team because he wasn't used very heavily at all by Don Mattingly out of the pen. It was only late in the year that he got opportunities in some medium and high-leverage situations. Good strikeout stuff, good fastball velocity, um, bad control. Multiple times he forced in runs with the bases loaded. I've already mentioned that that's one of my pet peeves from any pitcher. Already in his late 20s, not sure how much better he's going to get than he is right now. But in a depleted bullpen down the stretch, he certainly stood out as a guy that could get outs in different situations, both right-handers and left-handers. At one time, he was a Rule 5 draft pick of the Twins, but they decided they did not want to keep him after he struggled early in the year. The Marlins sent him to AAA. Not a whole lot else to say about Kinley. We'll see what he looks like in spring training. Pablo Lopez. 5.09 5.09 ERA, 4.28 FIP in 111 and one-thirds innings pitched. Somewhat of a disappointing year for Pablo. I, in particular, came into the year thinking he could be the best pitcher in the Marlins rotation at the time, and he really wasn't. He had a nice stretch relatively early in the year, uh, especially in May, where you could see him using all of his different pitches, fastball, breaking ball, changeup. The changeup really emerged as possibly his best pitch overall, and the velocity on his fastball was a little bit higher than had been seen in previous years as a prospect and then as a rookie in 2018. He was just really inconsistent. He had one of the most demoralizing starts of any Marlins pitcher this year, 
Remember when he gave up, what, 10 runs against the Mets in New York at City Field? He missed a lot of time during the middle of the year with a shoulder injury. The injury durability question is a big one for him. He's had injuries as a minor leaguer, Tommy John surgery back in the day, missed time with some shoulder concerns in 2018 as well. So that's one point of evidence that people point to that he may need to be used in a limited role, even as a relief role, in order to avoid these injuries. I still think there's a lot of hope for him to be an impact player in the rotation. He'll be just entering his age 24 season. He's a guy that we have already know is very cerebral. He's someone that has very repeatable mechanics and knows how to throw strikes. He just wasn't consistent enough this year, and I think the missed time was a big disappointment. You wanted to see him work through those lumps and make adjustments because he's the type of guy that will make his own adjustments and take full advantage of someone like Mel Stoudemire Jr. That's a very quality pitching coach. This is a pretty pivotal year for him in 2020 to really establish himself before this next wave of interesting starting pitchers comes up through the Marlins system. Mid-season edition, Ryan Stanek, 5.48 ERA, 5.70 FIP, in 21 and one-thirds innings pitched with the Marlins, traded over for the Rays right before the trade deadline in exchange for Trevor Richards and Nick Anderson. And joining Stanek in that deal was super outfield prospect Jesus Sanchez. But Stanek was supposed to be a significant piece in that deal. He had a lot of success as a, quote, opener for the Rays over the previous two years. The Marlins did not indulge in any of that practice in 2019, didn't really give it a try whatsoever, kept a pretty traditional rotation, and that meant Stanek was pitching in late-ending, high-leverage situations, and it was almost comical like how much he struggled during especially the month of August, his first with the Marlins organization. Don Mattingly put him in the most difficult situations possible, tie games with inherited runners, sometimes just a one-run lead on the road, and Stanek in the month of August was one of the worst relief pitchers in all of baseball. As a guy that was had a career earned run average in the low threes as a member of the Rays organization who has very high quality stuff, a high 90s fastball, a nasty splitter. These were situations that for the most part he was not familiar with at the major leagues, pitching in the later innings, uh, inheriting runners like that, and he struggled. He, looked, he really righted the ship later in the year. Uh, the splitter looked much better during his last few appearances, and the results reflected that. He's under control for, what, about four more years uh, through his late 20s and early 30s. Uh, the stuff did not have a drop-off much at all from when he had as a member of the Rays organization. So you think it will just be uh, getting used to a new system now that Mattingly's coming back. Just really questionable use of him uh, initially when he was acquired from the Tampa Bay organization. But really, more so than anybody else that we've mentioned so far, he seems to be a lock to make the Marlins bullpen coming out of opening day. Don't forget about Drew Steckenrider. 6.28 ERA, a 7.96 FIP, yikes, in 14 and one-thirds innings pitched. When he was on the mound this season, he clearly was not himself. After showing a lot of promise in 2018, he looks like someone that really fit the prototype that you look for in a powerful late-inning arm. The high 90s fastball that he uses up in the zone, the nasty slider, but medically, he just was not fully healthy this year. A very early in the year, he went on the injured list with an elbow injury, and thankfully, he dodged a bullet for the time being, where he's not going to undergo any type of Tommy John surgery. He's expected to be ready for the start of spring training after sitting out the majority of the year with that elbow injury. Uh, but you just don't know if he faces a further setback in that rehab, whether all of his velocity is going to come back. Really upsetting that they lost in the way he did entering 2019. If there was any pipe dream that the Marlins would have a respectable bullpen, a big factor in that was him taking a step forward and instead just the opposite. So he's looking for a big bounce back. And if he does, he has as much potential as pretty much any of the other relievers that we've already discussed. Another wild card, Jose Ureña, 5.21 ERA, 4.74 FIP in 84 and two thirds innings pitched. Middle of the season, came down with that back injury, so that was a good excuse, you could say, for the Marlins to transition him from a starter to a reliever. He never had great swing and miss stuff as a starter, and it was always a head-scratcher considering the pure stuff that he has 
should be able to do that. It came back as a reliever as a September call-up, and they used him in a closer's role where he converted a couple saves, but also blew a couple in very ugly fashion. The velocity did perk up when he went to the, the pen as much as 99 miles per hour on the fastball, but still not the swings and misses you're looking for. Too much hard contact. Uh, it's a big question whether or not he actually is retained through the offseason because the financials are a big complicating factor. He already was arbitration eligible the previous year, and despite the mediocrity this year, he is due a raise by virtue of being healthy for half the season and racking up those innings into the high $3 millions, a very low $4 million range. He will be the most expensive pitcher that we've mentioned so far for the Marlins, uh, someone that, aside from this recent back injury, had a track record of being pretty durable. And if they did trade him, they'd be trading pretty low on Reina. So the most likely scenario is that he reports to spring training, and then after an offseason of focusing on being a reliever, that he's able to tap into his full potential in that role. And finally, we wrap up this first section with Jordan Yamamoto, the Hawaiian right-hander, a 4.46 ERA as a rookie with a 4.51 FIP in 78 and two-thirds innings pitched, came out of AA Jacksonville, shot out like a cannon, set Marlins history with how unhittable he was for his first few outings. He goes down on three pitches. Two away, back-to-back strikeouts for Yamamoto. Well, the slider working well for Yamamoto. 95 miles an hour. Oh, a called strike three, bottom of the zone. That is his fifth strikeout. Became a fan favorite pretty quickly with the enthusiasm that he shows off the mound, how he expresses himself off the mound and and in the clubhouse. He's an interesting guy. A former guest on the Fish Stripes podcast. It was a pleasure talking to him before he got big time. And late in the year, suffered a forearm strain, but made it back for the very end of the season to finish on an encouraging note. The clear afterthought in that Christian Yelich trade, and yet surprisingly, the first of the players in that trade to make a positive impact at the major league level. Uh, so- somewhat in the same category as like a Robert Duggar, where he's going to rely on craftiness instead of velocity, where he's a little undersized for a conventional starting pitcher. And there has been an injury history with him that's worth pointing out. Uh, No major surgeries, to my understanding, but both elbow and shoulder issues in the past, uh, especially in 2018, where he was dominant at several minor league levels, but simply wasn't available for much of that season. So his role is a little bit unclear, but I think what is clear is that he has, could be some sort of effective at the major league level because of the variety of pitches that he has. The slider, in particular, had a stretch early in that call-up where it was virt- it was completely unhittable um, through, I think, his first five starts for the Marlins. So he'll be interesting. Maybe the velocity actually perks up if he's sent into a relief role. Um, either way, I, I'm curious about him moving forward because he does have a lot of tools at his disposal even if the raw stuff won't blow you away. So an interesting rookie year for him, someone who skipped AAA entirely and certainly has minor league options if he gets squeezed off this staff heading into opening day. Uh, just an interesting pickup, and already to this point, I think he has surpassed expectations that he had when originally acquired from Milwaukee. So those were the right-handed arms that everyone's already familiar with from following the Marlins at the major league level. Our second category is going to be the 2020 ETAs, the pitchers that we expect to be called up for the very first time in 2020 in their careers, and not going in alphabetical order this time. It's going to be in order of you know confidence that they will be making their debut this coming season and generally estimating the impact that they will have for the Marlins as rookies, the first is the number one overall prospect in the Marlins organization, one who's probably more recognizable than some of the names we've already gone through. Sixto Sanchez, a 2.76 ERA, a 2.81 fielder independent pitching in 114 innings pitched this year, most of that at AA Jacksonville with a couple starts at High A Jupiter as well. This was his age 20 season, and he was just as good as advertised meeting those lofty expectations of being the top prospect in the organization. 
the mid to high 90s fastball that even cracks 100 at times, the devastating changeup that looks so much like his fastball coming out of the hand, and then an improved curveball, something that he specifically spoke about recently at a conditioning program at Marlins Park, how he wanted to focus on making that a legitimate third wipeout pitch. He, when he isn't striking out opposing batters, which he does do quite often, he's generating weak contact, ground balls. He's very efficient. Yeah, what sticks out most is probably the changeup and how he's able to miss bats with that and use it in any count. And even more so, just how efficient he is and how confident he is in attacking the strike zone. A guy that has always been facing older competition at every step of his career and yet is more than willing to throw strikes and just trust his stuff to get out he was able to do that no triple a time for Sixto in 2019 he did establish a new career high in workload at 114 innings which was important for someone that was coming off an elbow injury in the phillies organization the question is going to be whether the marlins play the service time manipulation game by all counts and in my own personal opinion, Sixto is ready to be a major league starter right now. One of the five best that the Marlins have going into 2020. But looking long term, if they wait a few weeks before formally calling him up, and then they gain an extra year of team control, a seventh year before he can earn free agent eligibility. Either way, he's going to be a very important arm for this team's near future and certainly the long term future. Another young strike thrower, Nick Neidert who had a 4.67 ERA, 4.86 FIP in 54 regular season innings. But perhaps the more relevant data is coming in as we speak during the Arizona Fall League, one of three Fall Stars selections in the Marlins organization so far during the Fall League. He's looked great. Uh, what you don't get from him is high fastball velocity. I've seen him max out at about 92 miles per hour, according to StatCast during the Fall League. But he has great changeup, great control in the same way that Sixto does, even though he's a much different package than Sixto physically, and he's a, a couple years older than Sixto, but also younger than the typical major league starting pitcher. He can hit a little bit. We saw that at double A, where he even had a home run for himself, and that's something that can't be totally ignored for the time being when there's no DH in the National League and you have to hit for yourself. The Marlins as a team for the last few years have really struggled to get any production whatsoever from that spot and Neidert is more comfortable in that situation than the typical guy. So that's something to look forward to as well. He was definitely slated to make his major league debut in 2019 if he was just healthy, but that knee issue popped up fairly early on and they were conservative with the rehab to get him back. Neidert is just as much, if not slightly more likely than Sixto to make his debut in 2020. And he doesn't have the same high ceiling hall of fame potential, but the floor is very comforting. He has the ingredients that you're looking for for a contributor to the Marlins pitching staff for years to come. Big bounce back year for George Guzman, a 3.50 ERA, 4.37 FIP in 138 and two thirds innings with Double A Jacksonville. His first year in the Marlins organization was a little rocky in High A Jupiter. The walks piled up on him. He was not missing bats quite as expected but he really took big strides this year. Someone that I think had been written off as a true starting pitching prospect and with the assumption that you just put him in the bullpen and it'll blow away hitters with his velocity, doesn't have the full complement of secondary pitches that you're looking for, and he tried to change that narrative this year with Jacksonville. That innings total was the largest out of anybody in the whole Marlins minor league system. So there's something to be said for that how consistently he worked into the middle innings for Jacksonville and finished especially strong. It was He had that one-month stretch where he was virtually unhittable, uh, start after start after start. Uh, Swing and a miss, strike three. 13 strikeouts for George Guzman in six no-hit innings against Mississippi. What an effort by the Miami Marlins' number 17 prospect. He has been unhittable. Uh, there was some good luck, I think, that went into this, and that's reflected in the discrepancy between his ERA and FIP on batted balls and play. There was very good defense behind him for Jacksonville this year. That's part of it. Uh, even so, this was an encouraging step forward. He's only going to be 24 years old next year. Uh, this is already his second year on the 40-man roster. I think one way or another, he's going to find his way in the major leagues. And the safer bet is that he's going to be a reliever long-term, but just the fundamentals that he showed this year 
uh, were very encouraging that he has that potential to go both ways and be an impact player. This is what they were looking for to get in the Giancarlo Stanton trade. He was the biggest asset that they got at the time. And for as much improvement as Jose Devers has shown for some of the positive contributions they got for Starlin Castro, Guzman still has a nice high ceiling if everything goes his way. Speaking of high ceilings, Edward Cabrera put up a 2.23 ERA, 3.06 FIP in 96 and two-thirds innings pitched. Just dominance from him. The majority of that at high A Jupiter, but also a big chunk at double A Jacksonville. I want to credit our own Ian Smith for being one of the first ones on Edward, uh, not just as a top 100 prospect, and at this point, he is a consensus top 100 prospect according to all the national outlets, but Ian was the first one to just float the question that maybe Edward is the best pitching prospect that the Marlins have, right up there with Sixto. The fastball velocity was always there ever since he signed internationally uh, over four years ago with the Marlins, but the secondary pitches took huge strides this year, and the way that he was aggressive in the strike zone was so encouraging to see. Facing competition that was older than him at both levels, this was only his age 21 season, and yeah, building up those innings a little bit until facing an, an infection late in the year with Jacksonville that robbed him of some time, but he goes into the offseason feeling healthy. He's someone that the Marlins are very bullish about, and they have not been shy with pointing out how much they believe in him, making it pretty clear that he's not going to be used as trade bait for any reason, and I'm not exactly sure what the timeline is because he seemed to be on a track more towards a 2021 debut, but the way that they promoted him so early and his performance against double-A competition makes you think that before the end of this year, now that he's already going to have to go on the 40-man roster to be protected from the Rule 5 draft, that there might not be much reason to wait any longer. If, if everything goes together for him, he is uh, near the top of the rotation starting pitcher, uh, so we'll see where the workload is as the year goes on and what it, it's like the options that are ahead of him in the pecking order for the time being. Uh, but it, it's going to be a point where they're not going to keep him down if the performance merits a promotion. And the performance that he had in 2019 was an absolute best case scenario. There are a couple of right-handed relief only prospects that are also in my radar for 2020. The first being Tommy Eveld. 511 ERA, 5.48 FIP, and 49 in the third innings pitched between AA and AAA. Disappointing performance from him, any way you slice it. A guy with a unique backstory. He was an aspiring quarterback at the University of South Florida. Then, when injuries took away that possibility from him as an upperclassman, he committed all his effort into developing as a baseball player, and he turned into a really good relief pitcher for them. Drafted by the Diamondbacks, he lit up the lower levels of their organization, traded to the Marlins at the deadline in 2018, and the initial results were good in the Marlins organization as well. They started him aggressively with a AAA assignment to open up the season with all indications that he would break through to the majors in 2019, but again, that poor performance early on. He got straightened out once sent back down to Jacksonville. Uh, very unusual for a reliever to mix in four different pitches in his arsenal. Uh, the velocity is good, nothing special, uh, so he relies on two breaking balls and a changeup to keep hitters guessing, and he's already pretty mature. I think he'll be 26 this offseason, so 27, 26 heading into the 2020 season. Um, not a lot of projection left in him. He pretty much is what he is, someone who has a very distinct celebration when he finishes a save i'm not sure if he'll keep that if he's working in non-safe situations but his nickname is touchdown tommy for how he throws up the arms after closing out a game very good makeup you would say and intangibles a presence that you want in your clubhouse but the talent has to back that up as well so an, an unconventional prospect who fell off of prospects list because of his performance this year and just naturally what happens when a guy ages into his mid-20s. This will be a pretty big year for him to break through. This is the opportunity where there's so many like needs in the Marlins bullpen, and he could be one that sticks for a while if uh, he's firing on all cylinders coming out of spring training. 
and to pair with him, Tyler Stevens, a 2.82 ERA, 3.66 FIP, and 60 and two-thirds innings pitched. For those who hadn't noticed, when the Marlins parted ways with former top prospect Dylan Peters around this time last year, they actually made a minor trade with the Angels. So they sent Peters out there. They got Stevens in return. This was just his age 23 season, and the results kind of speak for themselves. Between Jupiter and Jacksonville and New Orleans, this was his second crack at AAA after making it up there originally with the Angels, and this time the results were a lot better, held his own, doesn't have the overwhelming velocity, he's just a fastball changeup guy for the most part, uh, relies on a high spin rate to have his stuff play up, and very repeatable mechanics to keep batters guessing between those two pitches. No pressure roster-wise, service time-wise, for them to have Stevens on the major league roster at any point this year, but the performance is going to force a promotion, it seems like, and he'll be an interesting character to fit into this mix. So what about the next waves of Marlins right-handers, those that are unlikely to make an impact at the majors in 2020, but could be up shortly thereafter. I'll begin with Jordan Holloway. 4.45 ERA, 4.38 fielder independent pitching in his 95 innings with the Jupiter Hammerheads. This was his first full season coming off of Tommy John surgery. Uh, Prior to that, he honestly hadn't been all that successful at any level for the Marlins. Had bouts with wildness, and to some extent that continued this year with throwing strikes. But the pure stuff is gorgeous, and it's improved from where he was prior to the injury. Fastball velocity can now sit in the high 90s, and more so than anybody else that we've mentioned on this episode. Just a beautiful 12-6 to curveball that has a huge velo separation from the fastball. So it's just those two pitches alone that give him a floor as being a, uh, a very interesting relief option. Uh, but the 95 innings this year was encouraging without any big time off in between during the summer. So we'll see if he's able to build upon that total. He's already on the 40-man roster because of all the years that he's already spent in pro ball. That may add some pressure for him to get a look later during this season. Uh, But just speaking generally, guys that don't even have any double-A experience coming into the year for them to make that big stride all the way to the majors within a single season It's somewhat unusual, and especially with all the great arms that we've already mentioned uh, prior to this. So it's it's an uphill battle for him to make a debut in 2020, but some guy to definitely keep an eye on long term. Somebody who deserves more love than what he's currently getting is Umberto Mejia, a 2.09 ERA, 3.13 FIP, and 90 and a third innings pitched. Most of that work with Loe Clinton this year. He had been in the Marlins organization for a long while, but they had brought him along pretty slowly, rookie ball, short season ball, and this year he finished it all the way up in Jupiter, and I imagine that's where he's going to start next year, where he might be the most attractive right-handed pitcher that they have on that Jupiter staff entering the year. Just the performance is great. They managed his innings pretty carefully as the year wound down, but he has a nice arsenal of pitches and only about 22 years old. So I'm excited to see what he becomes. Uh, The the raw stuff won't blow you away, but the performance alone uh, gives me a lot of optimism that he'll turn into something useful in the future. Uh, Alberto Guerrero, a 3.13 ERA, 3.75 FIP in 132 and one-thirds innings pitched. It also doesn't include his postseason start with Clinton, And that's the one that I was able to watch in its entirety when it was being broadcast in the Midwest League playoffs. Uh, His velocity can can top out in the mid-90s, but generally sits a little bit lower than that. Uh, One interesting characteristic of his pitching this season was just suppressing home runs. Now, the Midwest League is generally not too friendly to hitters, but for him to be among the league leaders in workload for the Marlins organization and to only be taken deep a handful of times the whole year, that was encouraging. Uh, a heavy set guy, um, to be honest. Uh, so we'll see what his conditioning looks like in the future and whether that impacts his stuff and his delivery in any way. But just like Mejia, he took a very big leap this year, finally getting a pro ball, really built up his workload. 
Simply put, I like that he was the one familiar arm on that Clinton pitching staff for what was the most successful Marlins minor league affiliate this year. Turning our attention to one wave further down the road, a trio of right-handers in rookie ball this past summer, Matt Given, Evan Fitterer, and Chris Machma. Not going to go too deep into their stats pitching in the Gulf Coast League. There's a lot of noise in those numbers. It's a weird combination of players that you face from rehabbing minor league veterans to you see fresh-faced high school players as well as refined college guys who are simply getting into a rhythm before shipping out to their real short season or full season assignments. But for what it's worth, all three of them, Given, Fitterer, and Machma posted ERAs in the twos. Given is the one I'm most familiar with. He spoke to Fist Stripes coming off his first pro season in 2017. He took to pitching relatively late in his amateur career. Still a lot to, to learn, but he figured out the fundamentals pretty early on. And in the most literal sense, just physically and in, in his mannerisms, drawn some comparisons to Zach Granke. Those are not the expectations for him. Uh, don't want to put any unfair pressure on him. That's just in the most literal sense. And this was his first year coming off the Tommy John surgery, which he underwent right before the 2018 season. He got 46 innings of work, and no doubt he'll be looking to build upon that in 2020 at a higher level of competition. Fitterer and Machma were both draft picks in this most recent class. Fitterer, the first pitcher off the board in the Marlins class, paid way above slot value to get him out of his commitment from UCLA, someone that also has a lot of refinement in his game. Similar to Holloway, has a good curveball working for him. He made uh, 22 and two-thirds innings pitched this year in the GCL and certainly has the potential to be a mid-rotation starter someday, but that's still very far away and far down the road. Uh, what we know for right now is the Marlins made a big commitment in him, so he's certainly going to get the opportunity uh, for the next several years to establish himself as a starting pitching prospect. Machma was the 12th round pick in the same draft class out of a Michigan high school, got even fewer reps in real games than Fitterer did, but the Marlins like his frame and his projectability. His stuff couldn't improve even further for where it is right now. Yet another potential starting pitcher that has the diversity of pitches that you're looking for to go a few times through the lineup and add even more depth to this Marlins organization. Category number four on this episode will be my curiosities. For one reason or another, I think they're worth going into more detail, even if they're not conventional top prospects. The first being Julian Fernandez, who has no stats to report from this 2019 season. He was acquired off of waivers. It was what, from the Giants organization? And the Giants got him as a Rule 5 draft pick from the Rockies organization. A huge arm, fastball velocity that rivals Guzman or Sixto or anybody in the Marlins organization, triple digits, but he's not healthy. He underwent Tommy John surgery around the same time that Matt Given did entering the 2018 season. The Marlins thought that he'd be available to them in the major leagues uh, some point during the middle of the year because of the restrictions as a former Rule 5 guy. They actually had to put him on the active roster when he was healthy uh, coming off a rehab assignment but he never even got to do the minor league rehab assignment. He had a setback in his elbow issue. They had to shut him down late in the summer, and it's a big question mark about where he's going from here. There may be another team that wants to take a flyer on him, or the Marlins may simply weigh the injury versus potential and decide that he's not worth the trouble. On the topic of elbow injuries, Brady Puckett, just like Fernandez, no stats for him during this 2019 season. It was late in spring training that he discovered an issue in his elbow and had to undergo his own Tommy John surgery. Uh, the reason I bring him up is that he was coming off a very successful 2018 season between single A and high A, uh, and the uniqueness of him as a prospect, he is, to the best of my knowledge, the tallest prospect in the Marlins minor league system right now at any position, listed at six foot eight and a strong six foot eight, very filled out frame, yet he doesn't lean on anything special in terms of fastball velocity. What sticks out more is just the precision of his stuff. He had earned that promotion to Jupiter midway through 2018 with just an off the charge strikeout to walk ratio. 
he was challenging hitters and he was getting good results out of it. The unique arm angle that he has coming from the height, his six foot eight frame, it was clearly giving opponents some trouble. Just a few weeks ago, Puckett shared with the world that he has been cleared to throw for the first time since his spring surgery. It's another six months about until what minor league opening day, but the Marlins historically have shown that they don't treat that as any sort of significant deadline. Uh, the higher likelihood is that he is back on the field starting real games towards the middle of the 2020 season, uh, most likely with Jupiter to reestablish himself as a potential starting pitcher moving forward. The Marlins have a more immediate decision to make about Cody Poteet, a 3.56 ERA, 4.68 FIP in 136 and a third innings this past season. Most of that with Double A Jacksonville, one of the few holdovers left from Jeffrey Loria's farm system, along with Edward Cabrera and Holloway and Mejia. He's been around for a while and wasn't held in super high regard in. To, to, to be honest, at this point, it's not super high regard either. He was repeating double A this year when he had his big breakout performance, one of the league leaders in ERA prior to his promotion to triple A, where he got knocked around a little in that hitter friendly conditions. 2015 draft pick out of UCLA. He is something of a junk baller. He'll mi- mix a, a handful of pitches to keep opponents off balance. Uh, below average fastball velocity, but a couple breaking balls and a changeup. We had him on the podcast this season, very down-to-earth guy, and he seems just very content to be a professional pitcher. Uh, unfortunately, he didn't get that opportunity he was looking for as a September call-up, and uh, but now this coming off season, he will be eligible for the Rule 5 draft if not protected on the 40-man roster, just 25 years old, and again, the raw stuff isn't going to blow you away. It has never really shown itself in high strikeout numbers, but I am curious whether he was a guy that will be passed over in the Rule 5, because as a guy that overall had pretty solid results this year and has a track record of being durable, that's something that other teams may value more than the Marlins do. So we'll see if the Marlins saw enough from him at AAA to feel like he's worth protecting, and whether he makes it through that portion of the Rule 5 to begin with. Two more right-handers I want you guys paying attention to. Josh Roberson put up great numbers for the Clinton Lumber Kings, a 2.14 ERA, 3.45 FIP in 63 innings. That's during the regular season. He also made a couple good starts during the playoffs for them that nearly got them into a championship. Another Tommy John survivor. He actually underwent that surgery right before getting drafted by the Marlins, and it affected his draft stock coming out that year allowed the Marlins to wait a few rounds to pick him up and simply put when he's been on the mound he's been amazing in Pro Bowl the problem is he just hasn't been on the mound very much when he is on the mound shows plus velocity and a nice breaking ball to go along with it the most likely scenario for him eventually if he is to make it to the major leagues is probably in the bullpen where he could just go back and forth between those two pitches and lastly CJ Carter A 2.30 ERA, 3.37 FIP this past season over 54 and two-thirds innings between three different minor league affiliates. Drafted by the Marlins in 2018, did not come with a big signing bonus or a lot of hype because his physical tools are pretty limited. I'm not even sure what his listed height is, but his actual height may not be much more above 5'6 or 5'7. The frame is thin. And he's foot, his fastball maxes out what in the high 80s. I got to dig in more to the StatCast numbers because he's currently participating in the Arizona Fall League, one of the seven Marlins prospects there. A lot of variety in his delivery, both his arm angle and his footwork mixes it up. He has a lot of variation to that, and yet he's still able to throw like a good amount of strikes with it. It doesn't rely too much on the fastball. His, his changeup actually comes in at a similar velocity, but the differences in movement generate some swings and misses. So he's an atypical prospect. He is amusing to watch on the mound and certainly a big change of styles from a lot of the pitchers that we've covered so far. There it is, your breakdown of Miami Marlins right-handed pitching depth. The tentative plan here is to come back again next week for that episode and do a similar exercise with all the left-handed pitching that the Marlins have. 
we'll be looking forward to this ultimate depth chart series going position by position, making sure the fans understand the talent that the Marlins currently have in what they're expecting to come up through the pipeline these next few years, because that would influence what they do from here in order to make this a team that we can all be proud of. I'm excited for your feedback. Always appreciate having this platform. Make sure to go to Fish Stripes, the website, and on social media, or find me personally, Eli Sussman, for more coverage of the team. Always like engaging in dialogues with our adoring fans. Go Fish!